Welcome to Legal News and Review, recipient of the Florida Bar Award of Excellence, Legal News and Review, the only real problem solver radio program using the law, with your moderator, Philip Bell, and hosts and legal panel attorney, Gary Singer, chair of the Broward County Bar Association's Real Property Section. Gary Singer is board certified in real estate law and a syndicated columnist from the Sun Sentinel. He is an expert in his field of practice. Now, here's your moderator, Philip Bell. On the docket for today's broadcast, trade secrets and unfair competition law is a blend of employment and intellectual property law. But what should a company do if a trade secret dispute arises between it and its former employees? Or what should an employee do if they're innocent today? From the law firm of Cozen O'Connor is James Gale, likes to be called Jim, who also co-chairs Cozen O'Connor Intellectual Property Litigation Department. He's also board certified in intellectual property law, and my listeners know what that means. He is an expert. I'd first like to welcome the legal panel for today. First of all, Gary Singer is on his way here. Hopefully he will join us before the end of the broadcast. But we have a very special legal panel uh, host, and his name is Bill Cornwell. Bill, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you. Great to be here. You know, you have a great firm, Weiss, Handler, and Cornwell. Well, that's kind of you to say, and yes, we, we serve our clients and try to do so well. You certainly do, and uh, we call you the $100 million man because of your settlements, but we won't go into that. Yeah. Um, and welcome to our listeners on 96.9 FM, 103.9 FM, and 740 AM. Of course, our iHeart, TuneIn, and iRadio Now. I get emails saying, hey, I heard you on TuneIn, and that, that means a lot to me. Uh, we're also recording on Facebook Live. Just Google Facebook Legal News and Review, and you can even watch past episodes. And you'll see we're here at Kelly Ustall Building in their mock courtroom. You know, you talk about resources. From, from car accidents to harmful products, medical malpractice, when careless or unlawful conduct causes you or your family injury, Kelly Ustall protects your rights for a fair compensation. Yes, also, I want to say congratulations to John Ustall, Michael Hirsch, and Catherine Darlson, 2018 Most Effective Lawyers. And uh, we're going to be having them on, matter of fact, in the next few weeks. Um, Jim Gale? Welcome to Legal News and Review. Hi, Phil. How are you? It's been too long. Um, matter of fact, you sent me pictures of your office now. <laughs> Talk about view. I, I couldn't think you'd do better than your last office. <laughs> you know? Got a great view. You're uh, doing something. Is that a corner office? It is a corner How office. How did I show? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you deserve it as well. Thank you much, Phil. First of all, Jim, could you provide a, a brief snapshot uh, of current trends in trade secret disputes? I mean, do companies need to be more aware uh, of the potential risk in this area today? Yeah, actually, uh, trade secret law has been taking off, particularly over the course of the last five to seven years. Uh, what's been happening is um, in the IP world, uh, since the America Invents Act took uh, took effect about five years ago uh, in 2020, 20, call it 2013, it was phased in. Uh, there has been a decrease in patent litigation, but there's been an increase in trade secret litigation. Now, the increase in trade secret litigation really is coming from two different aspects. Uh, number one is the fact that as the economy becomes more 
uh, challenging, shall we say, and, and the economy is good, but as it becomes more competitive, companies are willing to spend the money to go after people that violate their trade secret agreements and they're willing to go after former employees who steal their trade secrets and go to their competitors. And so the companies are more willing to sue their competitors as well for misappropriation of trade secrets. So the competitors are liable for uh, empl past employees from another company? Yeah, what happens is is that if, uh, say, you know, I'll use the old Macy's and Gimbel's um, uh, store, uh, store analogy, and, and probably half your listeners don't know who Macy's or <laughs> Gimbel is, uh, but... Um, you know, if a former employee leaves Macy's and goes to Gimbel's and uh, he or she uses any trade secret information that he or she took from Macy's on behalf of Gimbel's, then Gimbel can also be liable for not just tortious interference, but also for misappropriation of trade secrets. So, uh, as a matter of fact, there's a, a famous case that came out of uh, Chicago uh, called... My hometown. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chicago uh, in the uh, Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals called PepsiCo versus Redmond. And in that case, there was the vice president of sales and marketing for um, Gatorade, uh, which was uh, discovered at my alma mater of yes. University of Florida. Right. Um, the the vice president of sales and marketing for Gatorade left and went to its biggest competitor, Propel. And so as a result, PepsiCo sued uh, Mr. Redmond. And even though he didn't have a non-compete agreement, he was doing the same job for Propel that he had been doing for Gatorade, interfacing with the same suppliers, interfacing with the same stores, knew all of the sales pricing, knew all of the transfer pricing, knew all of the formulas. And so the court said, well, you know what? I don't care that you don't have a covenant not to compete. You are, under the Illinois Trade Secrets Act, right. going to inevitably use or disclose your former employer's trade secrets, and therefore we are going to enjoin you for a period of time and prevent you from working for your new employer until such time as these trade secrets dissipate. And that's an Illinois law? It's actually now spread. It, w it began in Illinois. Right. It began in the Sixth Circuit. It became known as the Inevitable Disclosure Doctrine under the, the Uniform Trade Secrets Act. The Uniform Trade Secrets Act has been adopted by about 47 of the 50 states around the nation, including D.C. and Puerto Rico. Um, and so some states enforce the inevitable disclosure doctrine. Some states do not. Illinois does, New Jersey does, Texas does. Georgia does, but it doesn't tell you it does. Uh, Florida is undecided as to whether or not it does. Uh, California will never enforce the inevitable disclosure doctrine. Well, you just won a case against Citrix, correct? In, in, in appeal. Uh, yes, I did. And I have to be very careful. Uh, all I can do is uh, discuss uh, what uh, came 
out in an opinion yesterday, right. uh, wherein uh, seven employees who were hired by uh, a client of mine called Ignite out in California uh, hired seven former employees from Citrix. They were all in the share file division, which is basically cloud storage. And um, uh, Citrix sued them here in the state of Florida uh, for breaching their non-competes and also theft. But they're in California, though. Well, the employees actually were in North Carolina. Oh. But they were telecommuting to California to Ignite's home headquarters in California. And so that's why we first filed a suit in California seeking to invalidate their covenants under California Business and Professions Code, Section 16600, which makes all covenants not to compete between an employer and an employee invalid, uh, void ab initio. And a week later, Citrix then sued in Florida, uh, sued Ignite and the seven employees. A little bit of a long discussion, <laughs> but it's one of those multi-state jurisdictional battles, which I tend to love, where you get you know, litigation in two, three different states, three different forums. It's a lot of fun. It is. Jim, it's Bill. For our listeners, tell us what is it, who decides what is or is not a trade secret and how long it's protected once an employee leaves. Uh, under the circumstances you describe, where there's no non-compete or, or non-disclosure agreement? Uh, uh, Bill, that's a, a great question. Uh, it's all very, very fact-specific. And so you, sometimes a judge will decide, sometimes a jury will decide, depending upon if it's the judge issuing an injunction, then the judge will make a determination whether or not the trade secrets uh, still exists. So, for example, uh, one of my clients hired a, um, uh, a senior manager from Medtronic, and the Medtronic, former Medtronic employee had a one-year non-compete. Well, during the course of the injunction hearing, we were able to show that, in fact, the secrets that this individual had access to really lasted no more than six months. And therefore, there should be no more than a six-month injunction imposed. And that was fine by us because it took us six months to train the individual uh, on our products anyway, so we really <laughs> didn't care. So we were going to keep them off the bench for six months anyway. So the bottom line is, is that we were able to show that the pricing that he had access to uh, dissipated after six months. The customer information was information that would change within six months. Uh, sometimes you use an expert, sometimes you don't. But uh, it's all very fact-specific, and uh, it's why lawyers get paid. And sometimes we don't get paid. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> but more and more businesses are uh, trying to mandate that you can't bring personal devices into work anymore. Well, it's interesting. There's a split on that. For example, Citrix has its own bring-your-own-device-to-work plan. Really? That in an effort, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm assuming that it's for purposes of trying to save money, but uh, they allow their employees to bring their own devices to work and uh, use those devices. Uh, I personally think from a legal standpoint that that's got to be the 
craziest thing that you could ever think of, uh, particularly when you're in a high technology right. uh, situation whereby you want to maintain control of what the individual does. You want to ma maintain control over the laptop. You want to maintain control over the technology on that laptop. So I, I advise my, my, um, uh, my clients to go ahead and give their employees their own laptops and their own cell phones, and then mandate usage of the um, company cell phones and the company laptops for only company uh, uh, issues, not for personal issues. Right. Well, that makes sense. Occasionally, I make sense. But, you know, <laughs> don't don't tell anyone because it'll ruin my reputation. I promise uh, I won't tell your wife. Your clients <laughs> then can confiscate the devices when the employee leaves and and assure themselves to some degree that they haven't lost whatever it is that's Ex on the device. Exactly, Bill. And, and what happens typically is, w for many of my clients, I do a lot in the medical device industry, um, which is a highly regulated, highly controlled industry. Uh, we recommend a plan of action that for every departing employee, no matter how honorable you think they may be, we take their laptop, we do a forensic analysis on it, and we're able to tell through use of uh, software whether or not they attached an external flash drive. Uh, mm. I advise my clients to have what's known as keystroke software, meaning that you can, you, yeah, you like I that one, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I know where this is yeah. at. Uh, <laughs> so you can, you can actually track their keystrokes uh, to see what companies they've sent their resumes to, what, what information they may have sent to their home email address, et cetera, et cetera. There's all sorts of things that you can do nowadays, but I always recommend control, mainly because I'm a control freak. <laughs> Forensic experts and, and computer specialists, they, they have a way of getting things that have even been deleted. Correct. That's, that's amazing to me. Sure. Correct. And, and in fact, you can, even, you can even recover things that are deleted off of your iPhone uh, or deleted off of an Android phone. Uh, even if things are double deleted, mm -hmm. people believe that if you double delete things, that in fact it cannot be recovered. That's not so. And in fact, you can find the ghost images many times on the hard drives. Um, one of my partners, Sam Lewis, is a former computer hacker. <laughs> uh, and he is probably one of the most technically proficient guys. He didn't get Trump uh, voted in, did he? Uh, I no, can can I refuse <laughs> to answer <laughs> on... on <laughs> um, well, go ahead, I'm sorry. So... Uh, you know, that's one of the things that we try to do is we hire people with strong computer backgrounds and strong technical backgrounds, not just for the IP and patent side, but, right. but for the theft of trade secret side. Well, trade secrets, in my mind, you know, is the proverbial Coca-Cola formula or, or WD-40 right. as well. Right. Um, and as I told you earlier in yeah. the day, if you would like a copy of the Coca-Cola Coca <laughs> formula, I'll be happy to give you a copy. <laughs> uh, because even though it's supposedly secret, it is no longer secret. Well, Bill, you're from Georgia. Don't you have a copy of that? I, I used to drink Coke. I don't know. <laughs> if I had it, I, I wouldn't use it any, any, for any purpose. Well, diet Coke, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah. Now, you represented the employees. Normally, you work with large companies. I mean, you, you work for the uh, companies like yeah. uh, who, who developed a defibrillator or, or uh, pacemakers, I understand. Yeah. I've done a lot of work in the implantable pacemaker and defibrillator field over the last 33 years. I've uh, actually been uh, general counsel of a pacemaker and defibrillator company for a few years uh, before then. And after then, I've worked for other companies as an outside lawyer. Um, and that's an area where there's a significant amount of um, litigation between and among the companies because many of these salespeople uh, can swing, you know, two, three, four million dollars a year worth of business uh, when, they, when they go from one company to another. And so the companies are very, very cognizant about making sure that they try to impose a covenant to prevent them from, um, from you know, taking yeah. their business with them. Tell us what, um, you're talking about trade secrets. I think most of your, your listeners here would know there are patentable materials, there are trademarks, there are copyrights. Can you just give a real thumbnail of what the differences are for business owners? So that Sure, sure. I'll, I'll, I am a lawyer, so I don't know if I could do it in a thumbnail. <laughs> but, well, I'm a businessman, uh, and, and yeah. you know, to keep track of all these can be quite confusing. It's, it's actually rather easy. Patents protect ideas, and solely ideas. Trademarks protect names or labels or, or designs or logos, and it protects goodwill. Okay, mm -hmm. so that when you go into a McDonald's restaurant, no matter where it is, it's got the same two all beef patties, special sauce, etc., on on the Big Mac as as it does here, as it does in India. Or even so, yeah, right, right. So it's it's a, a measure of goodwill. A copyright protects designs, non-functional designs, whereas a a design patent protects also non-functional designs. There's a little bit of an overlap. But a regular patent has to be functional in nature. And then a trade secret is something that is an innovative uh, uh, piece of information that gives you the opportunity to gain an advantage over your competitors that is not generally known to the public or known to the industry, and you must take reasonable efforts to protect that trade secret. A patent is actually published. It's published after 18 months in an application usually, and it then, then is published again when it issues by the Patent Trademark Office, and it's only good for 20 years from the date of filing. And the reason why it's public is so that once the patent runs out, the ordinary individual can go ahead and reproduce it. In other words, it's a governmental grant of a monopoly. And then that once that monopoly ends, it's free to the world to go ahead and repl replicate I wonder, it. I wonder how attorneys think about this type of a practice. Bill, you're, you're a litigator, as well as Jim, you're a litigator. When it, when it comes to litigating uh, trade secrets, how do you keep them secret? Well, it's, it's very difficult, but, you know, the courts will seal documents. They're not in, enthused about sealing documents. Right. They don't like it because there's a public, uh, uh, 
a public access issue. The courts want to make sure that the public has access to uh, what goes on in the court system. Uh, but they will take measures to ensure that the information is kept trade secret. And in many situations, what will happen is you'll file it under seal, and then at the end of the case, uh, you get the information back, right. and then there are agreements between and among the parties that they destroy all documentation. You destroy all briefs. You destroy all exhibits, et cetera, and you have to go ahead and confirm that you've destroyed it, or you send it back to the party who gave it to you, and then they destroy it. You know, this is such an issue that you've been in demand for seminars. As a matter of fact, you, you've done several of these seminars. I, I do a lot of speaking engagements, yeah. yeah. And I saw your PowerPoint, matter of fact. I, I have a copy <laughs> of it right here. It's really cool. It's a lot of fun. It is. It's, it's really good information. One thing you, you brought, brought out to me today was the uh, um, antitrust guidance issues regarding, yes. I, I guess, the uh, major companies that are in collusion you know, I won't hire this guy. You don't hire my guy. We'll, we'll you know, we'll, for we'll be years, friends. For years, you know, from the time I was a baby lawyer, uh, I've been practicing now for over 35 years. You mean when they had books? Uh, yeah, and that's all they had. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there was no internet. There was right. no phones, uh, it, oh, cell phones, et cetera. There's something called a no-poaching agreement or a no-switching agreement, whereby Company A agrees with Company B that, listen, you don't hire my people and I won't hire your people. And why do they do that? The reason why they do that is because many times it'll take a good year to two years to train people in highly sophisticated technology. So, for example, as I say, I've done a lot of work in the uh, implantable pacemaker yeah. and defibrillator area. You know, it may take you 6, 12, 18 months to train someone. And so after you train someone for 18 months or two years, you don't want them going to your competition. And so companies would go ahead and say, well, I'll agree not to hire your people if you agree not to hire my people. Now, like in California... Well, that actually sounds like a fair exchange. It, it, it does. And I love it because of the fact that it's an antitrust violation. <laughs> and as a result, someone's going to get sued. Uh, but, but, like, it, it takes place a lot, or has taken place a lot in the past in California. In California, as I mentioned, you can't prevent employees from going across the street. You cannot have a valid covenant not to compete with your employee... Period. It's one of the one of the few states that has a specific statute saying you cannot tie our, up your employees like that. So what'll happen is, say in the Silicon Valley area, mm -hmm. where you have two competitors, they'll say, "Listen, you know, we both are making a huge investment in our people. You know, we know you're spending a lot of money to train your people. We're spending a lot of money to train our people. Mm -hmm. You keep your hands off my people. I'll keep your hands off your people. Well, over the course of years, the law has gone back and forth as to whether or not that was or was not an antitrust violation. And just recently, uh, actually in October of 2016, the Department of Justice came out and said no. Not only is it a violation, it is a criminal violation for parties to go ahead and agree not to hire each other's employees. And so DOJ went after Apple and Google and Intel and Intuit and Pixar and All eBay. All added up about 
two trillion dollars worth of uh, businesses minimum yeah. and and eBay decided to try to fight it eBay all of these other companies entered into a consent order right away uh, eBay said no we're we're going to fight this we're going to we think that you should be allowed to go ahead and hire from your competitors and so they went ahead and moved to dismiss the complaint that the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, had brought against them, and they lost. And after that, they decided to sign a consent decree as well. <laughs> <laughs> you so. know, it's, it's amazing to me. Now that uh, more people are working since oh, about 50 years now, uh, people are, are, are happy where the economy is going, and they're switching jobs as right. well. Right and left. Yeah. Right. Maybe I got that MBA for a purpose. Now I can use it. Right. <laughs> Please look. Unless slides. it's in philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> now, Cozen O'Connor, you're in 27 different states. Our program is broadcast nationally. And uh, you shared with me, I, I, I knew you guys were big, but you have over 750 attorneys. Yeah. Right. But, but you still have the boutique mentality. Yes. You know, service, yeah. service, and more service. Thank you. We, we are very proud of that. I ran my own boutique for 22 years. And right. the reason why we folded into Cozen O'Connor is because of the fact that uh, they have the same type of uh, small firm mentality. I call them either a big small firm or a small big firm. Right. And so the service level is the same as what you get for a small firm. But, it, yeah, we have 27 offices in the U.S. and three outside the U.S. So I'm very pleased there, and I think it was a good move, and uh, they've given me a good platform uh, upon which to do this on a nationwide basis. Did Suzanne, that's your assistant, did she come with you? Or, or yeah, Susanna came with me. She's we, great. Yeah, she is. Thank you. We brought about 18 other lawyers with us from... Uh, from around the nation, uh -oh. including uh, D.C. Are, are we talking about poaching? or No, <laughs> no, 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 no. They were my <laughs> lawyers. They, they were lawyers from Feldman Gale that rolled in around the nation, including in San Francisco. Well, you certainly wouldn't sue yourself then. No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, if somebody has questions regarding this, whether they're a, a small business or, or they've been around for generations, uh, what's the best way to contact you? Uh, best way is my phone, which is 305-358-1991. you did it too fast. What is it? 305-358-1991 or 1991. Um, if you send me an email, there's a joke around my office that yeah. if you never want me to read anything, send it to me by email. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, on so. that note, if you, if you just Google Jim Gale, Miami. Yeah. You, you come right up. Attorney. you got to add an attorney. You or come James right up. Gale. It's either Jim Gale or James Gale. I tried um, both before I came, and you came up. You know, it is drive time. Put your phones down. Don't text and drive. The life you may save might be my own. <laughs> so please, be careful out there. And remember, be, be legal. You've been listening to the award-winning legal news and review, recognized by the Florida Bar's Award of Excellence. To contact the legal panel hosts and guests, go to BeLegalBuzz.com. And to reach Gary Singer, board-certified real estate and syndicated columnist, appearing in 400 media outlets, including the front page of the Money section every Monday in the Sun Sentinel, from the law firm of Gary M. Singer, PA, call 954-851-1448. For legal news and review, remember, be legal.